0: national news.
1: Hello, I'm Lina Moodoo. Welcome to Health Chat. On the program today, we will look at the COVID-19 Omicron variant. But first, while most of the world's attention is focused on containing the COVID-19 pandemic, the battle against HIV-AIDS continues. The World Health Organization says HIV remains a major global public health problem and has claimed the lives of over 36 million people to date. 1.5 million people were infected with HIV in 2020 and about 680,000 people lost their lives to the disease. According to a report from the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria, COVID-19 has dropped HIV testing by 22% worldwide. This trend is a reality in Cameroon and is compelling organizations working in the care of HIV patients to adjust their field strategies. Here is more in this report produced in Yaoundé by VOA's
2: correspondent, Emmanuel Tap. The Humanity First team has begun an awareness campaign on HIV testing. The drop-off point is a Yaoundé market where people can get tested. We
1: have chosen here in particular because here we find drug users. And as we all know, sex is not the only way to contract HIV. There is also transmission through syringes and blades. That's why we chose this place to come to do the
2: screening. The Humanity First Cameroon Association works to break the chain of HIV transmission. From March 2020, its screening activities were impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: We
3: have seen a decline in the number of people who come to take their medications here due to COVID-19. And some people were prejudiced and said that there was a form of COVID in the drugs we were giving to people.
2: Responsible for the chain of care for patients with HIV and opportunistic diseases, this doctor now receives an average of seven patients compared to two earlier in the COVID 19 pandemic.
1: At that time, people were more afraid of COVID. When you talked about HIV, people weren't too interested. It was only COVID. When we went to people, they said to us, I'd rather know my COVID status more than my HIV status. Now as things are settling down, people have access to
2: testing. Last year, more than 496,000 people were living with HIV in Cameroon. And COVID-19 has killed more than 1,700 people since March of 2020.
1: For more insights on the fight against HIV AIDS and the impact of COVID-19, I spoke with Dr. Daniel Were, project director with JPIGO Kenya. JPIGO is an international non-profit health organization affiliated with the Johns Hopkins University. Daniel Were, thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Yeah, it is my pleasure also to join you.
1: First and foremost, Would you give us a sense of uh, the HIV epidemics? It's been 40 years now since the first case of HIV was reported. After 40 years, what are your thoughts in terms of the trajectory where we are now?
4: Uh, At uh, the initial stages, I think there was a lot of powerlessness. But I must say that over the years, we have seen a lot of scientific advances. Uh, First of all, the breakthrough with uh, antiretroviral therapy. Uh, really was a great game changer uh, in terms of uh, addressing the pandemic, but then beyond that, I think, and uh, particularly over the last couple of years, we have seen a lot of great advances, particularly in biomedical HIV prevention, and this is emerging from the realization that even globally, while we are aiming towards the UNAIDS targets initially in 1990, 1990, of just ensuring that 90% of uh, uh, people are. Uh, who are HIV-infected know their status. 90% are linked to treatment and uh, 90% are virally suppressed. And even with greater advances towards 95, 95, 95, there is a realization that we cannot treat ourselves out of this pandemic. So uh, what is more exciting is uh, over the last decade, we have seen a lot of advances, particularly in the uh, field of biomedical HIV prevention. Uh, Initially, of course, it was more just about condoms and then came voluntary medical male circumcision, and there's been a lot of progress. But in recent years, when we are seeing new products coming into the scene, uh, now we are talking about daily oral prep, but seeing also a lot of new other biomedical HIV prevention uh, products coming into the scene, uh, including the the PIVRIN Vaginal Ring that was uh, just pre-qualified by the World Health Organization last year, and many others in the research pipeline. While this progress, I think I must say where we are, while we have not achieved the goals of where we want to be, there is a lot of optimism if I look at uh, the years ahead.
1: Now, there is another epidemic the world is fighting currently. What does the fight against HIV AIDS in the context of COVID look like for patients and providers? I
4: think uh, with uh, the advent of uh, COVID, uh, I must say that it has brought uh, to the fore two things. One is it has complicated delivery, but uh, secondly, it has also pushed the boundaries of innovation. And uh, when I say this, first of all, in terms of complicating delivery, I think uh, we were used to a lot of interpersonal care. Uh, Most uh, people would actually go to health facilities to receive their HIV care and treatment. And what we saw from last year when COVID came into the scene, two things happened. Number one is uh, most of the health facilities shifted their focus to start uh, addressing COVID. And this complicated or uh, hindered access. Uh, to services for a number of people, including the fact that uh, a number of COVID containment uh, measures put in place by the government, like in Kenya, included restricting movement. So what this meant is that a number of clients who are on HIV treatment, for example, or those seeking HIV prevention services, could not access some of this because of uh, uh, the COVID situation. But also globally, when attention shifted from HIV to COVID, certainly, again, in terms of uh, focus, at what's addressing the pandemic was more or less deprioritized. And this raised a lot of concern. But on the other hand, I think uh, the glimmer of hope that uh, we did see is also people thinking innovatively of how best do we sustain the gains that we have made in the HIV response And that is not necessarily lost because of COVID. What we have seen in a situation like in Kenya, we have seen a lot of advances towards things like telemedicine, for example. Uh, These are things that had not been thought about uh, more critically, but a lot of these has been prioritized in the COVID era, just to ensure that we are able to sustain access to services even despite uh, the changing circumstances.
1: Talk to us about your work on the ground through JPIGO. Part of it is working with the Kenyan government in scaling up uh, oral PrEP. What has been going on and what progress has been made on that front?
4: In terms of uh, our work around uh, scaling oral PrEP, I must say that uh, we've made a lot of substantial progress over the last five years. Uh, this work began around 2016, just hot in the heels of uh, the WHO recommendations that uh, daily oral PrEP should actually be scaled up for anyone at substantial risk uh, of HIV acquisition. Uh, But at that point, we did see that, uh, particularly in many countries in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, there was a lot of skepticism on really whether it was uh, feasible to scale up oral PrEP. So part of uh, the work that we did was really to pioneer and uh, demonstrate that it was actually feasible to do this, uh, not only in Kenya, uh, but in sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, we've done this in partnership with the government of Kenya, uh, working around ensuring that uh, the right policies are in place, uh, ensuring that uh, the health system in Kenya generally was prepared and strengthened to support uh, the scale-up of oral PrEP. And what we have seen over the last five years through this partnership with the government, but also working broadly with also other stakeholders in the scene, uh, including other donor agencies and uh, also other implementing partners, as well as uh, advocates and the beneficiary groups. As we speak now, I think Kenya has more than 130,000 individuals who have ever initiated uh, oral PrEP. And also through these efforts and these lessons that uh, we have learned over the last five years, We've been able to share this across the region, and uh, we have a number of countries in sub-Saharan Africa which have also initiated PrEP programs as a result of some of uh, these lessons.
1: I know you touched a little bit on some of the challenges that came up with the COVID pandemic. What new challenges have emerged even before COVID?
4: So I think there are numerous challenges uh, even before COVID, and uh, the first one is really uh, relates with the design of the health system. And uh, this is not just in Kenya, but in Sub-Saharan Africa at large. And I think the reality is that when we talk about HIV prevention, and uh, particularly biomedical HIV prevention uh, products like daily oral prep, are actually being delivered in a health system that is already constrained. Uh, Constrained in terms of uh, personnel, uh, constrained in terms of infrastructure. So what we are seeing is that while we are encouraging clients to go to health facilities, uh, to take up some of these biomedical HIV prevention interventions, they are going to a health facility that is not necessarily friendly uh, because of these constraints. So that is one of the challenges and we have seen a lot of uh, willing clients who are motivated uh, to use some of these products like Prep being displaced based on the inconveniences the experience within the health system. But we've also seen uh, other overarching challenges, including things like uh, uh, stigma and discrimination. Uh, Given uh, the prominence that uh, uh, a pandemic like HIV has attracted, it has also uh, gone hand in hand with a lot of stigma at the community level. And these are some of the challenges that we continue to encounter on a day-to-day basis, where you're seeing a lot of willing clients actually get discouraged because of the attendant stigma.
1: What do you say in terms of solutions as we move forward toward 2030, the Sustainable Development Goals?
4: Yeah, thanks. So, so I think there are a lot of uh, uh, viable ideas which are actually being advanced at the moment. And uh, the whole underlying agenda is towards simplification of how biomedical HIV prevention is actually delivered. And when I talk about simplification, uh, I think the reality now is the way some of these interventions have been able, like daily oral prep has been highly medicalized, uh, delivered within the health system, which, as I did say before, is constrained by a lot of limitations. Uh, And these are actually being experienced by clients. So some of the advances now, uh, in terms of things like HIV testing, we realize that uh, in many countries, HIV testing is actually done by healthcare providers within the health facility. But we are seeing now there's a lot of movement towards adoption of uh, things like uh, HIV self-testing. as a country, is actually spearheading a lot of efforts in this direction so that, for example, clients then can test themselves to know their HIV status, and they don't necessarily need to go and overwhelm a health facility, just in the interest of knowing their HIV status. But also there are a number of things, including the, as part of this agenda, of what we are calling demedicalization uh, of the delivery of uh, biomedical HIV prevention, which includes moving and adopting community models. And uh, some of the work that Chapayco is doing now, partnering with uh, a number of other organizations, is to actually test out uh, new models, including things like uh, a virtual care model, uh, whether we are able to adopt things like e-pharmacy delivery platforms, uh, working through community retail pharmacies. Because like what we see in uh, most of uh, the local contexts, is that when people are unwell, the first point of contact is they'll actually go to a community pharmacy to seek services. So what we're doing is trying to test out whether things like daily oral prep can actually be delivered through community pharmacies. But also beyond that, we have seen uh, community delivery models working with community health workers, working with peer educators, working through outreach models, are some of the strategies that have actually proven to work which also resonate with most of uh, the clients and are actually more accessible they are less inconveniencing and they're actually less stigmatizing
1: is there a silver lining in the covid pandemic for the fight against hiv Aids can it be turned into an opportunity somehow
4: I think one of the greatest lessons that uh, we pick from COVID, because if you look at uh, the journey that we have taken in terms of the HIV response, uh, you can imagine where like in the case of Kenya, where the first uh, case was actually formally reported was 1984. And it has taken almost three decades before some of these advances are actually starting to be met. And if you look at what has happened with COVID, where in less than a year, when the whole uh, global uh, field and landscape uh, was actually united together towards finding uh, a response, uh, uh, basically in terms of uh, finding a vaccine. And we have seen that that has actually yielded a lot of fruitful gains uh, in terms of the COVID response. And I think what this tells us, even in terms of the HIV response, that when all stakeholders actually pull together in the right direction, then we are able to actually quickly t- uh, tackle Uh, a pandemic such as uh, HIV globally. My message is that uh, while we have made a lot of progress, I think we are not yet where we want to be. Uh, We are seeing a a gleam of hope with a lot of advances, particularly in terms of uh, science, uh, giving us a lot of tools to fight the pandemic. But at the same time, we are seeing in terms of uh, the interest and investment. Terms of the HIV response have been waning over the last couple of years. So I think for me, the point is that this is not the time to give up. I think this is the time that we really need to re-energize the response so that then within the next couple of years, as we talk about uh, uh, things like uh, over by 2030, we should have, like in the Kenyan case, we are talking about by 2030, we should actually have zero new HIV infections. I think if you are be able to re-energize the response at this point in time, then some of these are actually
1: achievable uh, goals
4: uh, globally.
1: Daniel Were, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time.
4: Yeah, thank you too.
1: The WHO has recognized Botswana for its efforts to prevent the transmission of HIV from expectant mothers to unborn children. Officials say no children born to HIV-positive mothers this year had the virus. Kondisi Dube reports from
0: Gaborone. The World Health Organization awarded Botswana the silver tier status this week in recognition of efforts to prevent mother-to-child HIV transmission. The silver tier certification... Is given to countries that have lowered the mother-to-child HIV transmission rate to under 5% and provided prenatal care and antiretroviral treatment to more than 90% of pregnant women. Botswana has achieved the WHO target of an HIV case rate of fewer than 500 per 100,000 live births. Who regional director for Africa, Matidi moeti in awarding the certificate in Habron on Thursday, said botswana has demonstrated that an AIDS-free generation is possible.
1: I want to applaud this huge accomplishment accomplishment Arizona, which we know has had one of the world's most severe HIV epidemics. This achievement demonstrates that an AIDS-free generation is possible. It also marks an important step... Was ending AIDS
0: across the entire continent. Perhaps most importantly, it illustrates the remarkable progress that can be achieved on the needs of mothers living with HIV and their children oh. and families. Botswana is the world's fourth highest HIV prevalence, but has made strides in fighting the virus. President Mokgweetsi Masisi says the award recognizes the country's progress towards an HIV-free generation.
3: This award is given to Botswana and Botswana as testimony to the success of our efforts in the country in the path to eliminate mother child
5: transmission of HIV. We are
3: excited by this development because we have been battling with HIV/AIDS pandemic for very many years. The award, therefore, which is the first to be awarded to an African country
4: demonstrates that our efforts have not been
0: in vain. Masisi says HIV rate significantly decreased from 37.4% in 2003 to 18.4% in 2019. HIV-positive young women like Ndodrumuiluam say the country is on a reassuring path.
6: One of the reasons that drive this huge change is that the moment a woman tests positive for pregnancy, they also get tested for HIV. And if the results come out, positive then at that very moment they get enrolled for prevention of mother to child transmission it means they cannot infect uh the unborn baby or they cannot infect the baby during birth
0: with the country making strides in preventing mother to child hiv transmissions muilwa says the future is much brighter for her and other hiv positive women
6: i see a huge change for our future um since if you you get to closely look at the youth that are living with hiv at this moment a lot of them got infected through birth and if right now babies are born HIV negative, then it means there are not going to be any HIV positive young people in the future if we are to take care of ourselves.
0: According to WHO, 15 countries globally have been certified for eliminating mother-to-child HIV transmission, but none had an epidemic as large as Botswana. Mkwondi Dube for VOA News, Haboroni.
1: You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It is time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: Stay informed and up-to-date Monday through Friday at 3.30 and
1: 17.05 UTC with VOA's International Edition. Our correspondents bring you the news from around the globe, plus we delve into the context of the day's biggest stories with interviews with experts that place the story into context to understand why it matters. VOA's International Edition, your best source for news and information. Welcome back to Health Chat. We turn now to the COVID-19 pandemic. Hospitals in Gauteng province, which contains two of South Africa's biggest cities, are packed with people infected with the Omicron variant of COVID-19. Doctors say most patients haven't been vaccinated and an alarming number are children under the age of five. Darren
5: Taylor reports. Data from South Africa's National Institute for Communicable Diseases, the NICD, shows almost 2,500 COVID-19 cases reported per day two weeks ago when local scientists announced they'd identified a new variant. On Friday, this had spiked to around 16,500 per day. The steep rise indicates Omicron's highly transmissible nature. The NICD says the increase in cases in such a short period of time is unprecedented in the trajectory of the pandemic.
3: And unfortunately, we're seeing a more than doubling of hospital admissions each day.
5: Uh, with the... Professor Ian San is an infectious diseases specialist who serves on South Africa's COVID-19 Presidential Advisory Committee. He's advising hospitals to prepare for significant surges of patients in the coming weeks and months and to make sure they have plenty of oxygen. Dr. Farid Abdullah of the South African Medical Research Council says the surges are already happening in Johannesburg and Chwane.
0: There's been a, a rather rapid
3: rise in hospital admissions with patients who have COVID, whether they are presenting with COVID pneumonia or severe COVID disease, or other conditions, and and are incidentally testing positive for COVID. All of the hospitals in
5: Schwane are seeing an upsurge, and the COVID bed occupancy is increasing 30-40% per day over the last few days. Only 36% of people in South Africa are fully vaccinated. Sainz says those who haven't received the jab are particularly susceptible to Omicron, as are individuals who haven't been exposed to COVID-19 before.
3: At this time, we think about 75 to 80% of hospitalizations are unvaccinated. And it could be as large as 40% of the population that has not yet either been vaccinated or had a previous infection with uh, coronavirus up until now. Multiply the transmission rate that is occurring times the number of people that still can become infected and a portion of those becoming hospitalized. And so we have a large pool of people who can still present with overwhelming infection and severe disease.
5: Health authorities say Omicron's reinfecting some people who've been vaccinated, but mostly their symptoms are mild. One of the country's top epidemiologists, Professor Salim Abdul Karim, told VOA current vaccines should provide good protection against Omicron. However, the World Health Organization says only 3% of people in Africa are fully vaccinated. Another disease expert, Professor Shabir Mahdi, says the longer viruses flourish in populations, the more likely they are to mutate into variants.
3: Without any question, if we were to vaccinate more people, we would be able to dampen the amount of virus that would be circulating. We're not going to eliminate this virus under any stretch of the imagination, but we can reduce the amount of virus that's circulating. And most importantly, is that vaccines are going to be much more foolproof when it comes to protecting against severe disease than
5: taking your chances
3: of being vaccinated.
5: Sain agrees that COVID-19 is going to be around for a long time and those who believe the disease will eventually just fizzle out are wrong.
3: The problem is that RNA viruses uh, don't follow those patterns and indeed they actually become more efficient in their transmission without necessarily reducing the disease risk. It is over time that our immune system needs to catch up. We therefore don't have the ability to predict that this virus, as a virus, becomes weaker, whereas we do in fact see that the immune system will improve with time to in fact deal with the infection.
5: The South African government's expected to soon make vaccination mandatory in some settings in an effort to reduce the impact of a fourth wave of the pandemic. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
1: Turning now to malaria, the WHO reports a significant rise in malaria cases and death in 2020 due to COVID-19 disruptions in malaria services. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva
7: on WHO's latest World Malaria Report. Over the past two decades, global malaria death rates have been cut in half, saving the lives of 10.6 million people. New data gathered by the WHO show COVID-19 has stopped and even reversed the progress made in reducing deaths from this preventable, treatable disease. The WHO's World Malaria Report estimates 241 million malaria cases and 627,000 malaria deaths globally have occurred in 2020. This represents an increase of 14 million cases and 69,000 deaths compared to the previous year. WHO links the increase to disruptions of malaria prevention, diagnosis, and treatment services during the pandemic. Director of WHO's Global Malaria Program, Pedro Alonso, says the situation could have been far worse. The good news, he says, is that the predicted doomsday scenario did not transpire. He notes gloomy projections made in March 2020 of a huge spike in malaria have not materialized.
5: One worst case scenario implied a doubling of malaria death. So, Let me reiterate this. That is not the case. We can call this a success story, even though an extra 47,000 people have died as a consequence of the disruptions.
7: The report finds progress in the global fight against malaria remains uneven. Between 2000 and 2020, WHO has certified 12 countries as being malaria-free. Two countries, China and El Salvador, have achieved this status in 2021, despite the ongoing pandemic. Since 2015, Both cases and deaths have stalled in most of the world's 93 endemic countries and territories. However, other figures show malaria cases have increased in 32 countries, most in sub-Saharan Africa and some in South America. Alonso says the situation remains especially precarious in Africa where the malaria burden remains unacceptably high. He notes Africa accounts for about 96 percent of global deaths, 80 percent among children under age five.
5: And at the same time, the pandemic is not over and the pace of economic recovery is uncertain. Without immediate and accelerated action, key 2030 targets of the WHO global technical strategy will be missed, and additional ground may be lost.
7: WHO strategy calls for a 90% reduction in malaria cases and deaths by 2030. It also presses for the elimination of malaria in at least 35 countries, and for the prevention of disease resurgence in all countries that are malaria-free. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. That's all for this edition of Health Chat.
1: For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit voenews.com. Check us out at facebook.com slash and let's keep the conversation going. Thank you all for joining us, and special thanks to all our affiliate stations throughout Africa for carrying Health Chat. I'm your host, Linda Mudo, in Washington with producer Dan Brown. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and wash your hands more frequently. And strive to make every day a healthy day.
5: Sporty greetings. To- of America listeners This is
3: VOA Sunny Young host of the Sunny Side of Sports Tune in right here Mondays through Fridays at 16:30 and 18:30 UTC for an action-packed
4: 30-minute program of African, American and international sports
5: highlights
3: Hi, this is Larry London, the host of VOA's Border Crossings, where we feature music and interviews along with your favorite artists from around the world. Tune in and interact live with us here in Washington, D.C. Hello, Shirin. Hello, Larry. How are you? Good. How are you tonight? Border
2: Crossings comes
3: to you Monday through Friday at 1500 UTC.